Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Indianapolis, AFC South, Stampede Blue, let's air it out, fly route, let's air it out, topics, loaded like offense, Colt-centric, talk about it often. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, this is a bit of a mashup tonight between the Colts cast and Horseshoes with Holder, we got our man Stephen Holder here with us tonight, Stephen, what's going on? Not too much, Uh, a little bit of a bye week, so a bit a little scarce, but uh, still make time for the podcast, there's plenty to talk about, uh, bye week or not. Absolutely, so um getting us both on here tonight uh good conversation we wanted to kind of talk about how the Colts have done so far uh this this year uh, through the first eight weeks first half of the season a bit of a recap kind of talk about some of the situations they've been in uh wins losses that kind of stuff uh also you know a little bit of news here and, and Stephen uh we'll talk about this uh kind of just in a in a in a quick spot here uh, talk about Quentin Nelson, apparently the first guard ever to win Rookie of the Month. I, I think that says a little something. I think it does. Uh, they generally don't draw that kind of attention, right? I mean, <laughs> who, who, what guard that I can think of? I, I can't think of a guard that would have garnered, garnered enough attention to warrant you know, Rookie of the Month, right? Mm-hmm. But, but that just kind of speaks to you know, Quentin Nelson's impact, right? It, it's not... You know, this isn't about highlights, but right. he is a guard who actually has a highlight reel. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. Mean, you know, like that alone should tell you something. That doesn't necessarily determine whether he's a good player or not. That's not what we're basing it on. But it does kind of tell you what kind of player he is to some extent, too, right? It adds some context, I think, to the kind of player he is. And it's no coincidence with his performance and that of, obviously Braden Smith at right tackle, uh, that this offensive line really seems to be coming into its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we all hesitate to, to go too far right. and to crown them because we've been burned before <laughs> taking, taking those leaps. But it's sure for all the world looks like they might have turned the corner here. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of exciting to see what they might be. It is exciting. I mean y- – I, I, you know, I just keep thinking about this because there were so many people that were just continuing to say, you know, there's a reason that, uh, you know, guards aren't given that value at the top of the draft. And a lot of people gave Bauer a lot of hell for that, you know, taking I mean, and, and I wouldn't say, you know, that they said it was a bad pick. They were just, you know, saying, oh, but it's a guard, man. You know, you you need to get an impact guy. But I mean, if Andrew Luck not being sacked over the last three games, being able to throw the ball 40 and 60 times, you know throughout the season and, and and really just being able to be comfortable in the pocket there not you know what and there's something I think that's a little underrated about this not just his comfort level in the pocket but have you I mean, I'm sure that you've noticed I've definitely noticed you don't see him trying to escape left and right as much he steps up in the pocket because he's able to now and that does a lot for his downfield vision and his accuracy yeah so it's interesting Andrew Luck and I know you will agree with this Andrew Luck has, in my opinion, always had an amazing pocket presence, right? Mm, It's always been one of his best qualities, I felt like, and how he always sort of hung into the last possible moment and always gave the play a chance to, to always, you know, gave it a chance to see it through Mm. to its intended end. But, but when he was under pressure, obviously, right, I mean, things started to break down and, and you saw him you know, have to rely on his legs and he's their leading rusher half the time. And you're like, this is not how it's supposed to work. Right. So now there's no question about it. I, I think you're starting to see him. You can actually watch Andrew Luck 
go through the progressions. You can watch his head turn. Mm-hmm. He goes one option, second option. He's going to his third option in some cases. You go back to the Oakland victory on Sunday, the Mo Ali Cox play, which was just a, a beautiful one-handed catch. On that play, he was not the first option. Jack Doyle was the first option. Well, Jack Doyle wasn't the that throw wasn't there. It uh, wasn't an optimum throw for Andrew Luck, and he very easily had time to go to his second option and make a beautiful, timely throw that was that, where there was no pressure. And that's what you get. You get Andrew Luck, as you said, being comfortable, and the accuracy just goes through the roof when that guy can set his feet and throw the ball the way he wants to. And, and I have really enjoyed watching him step up in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the throw to T.Y. Hilton for 32 yards down the seam, that was a great example where he got a little bit of edge rush, but there was a clean pocket in front of him, and it's exactly what you want. I mean, there is no such thing as a perfect pocket in the NFL, right? I right. mean, you know, these guys are good. So the quarterback's going to have to do some work. But as long as he's able to work the pocket and he has pocket presence like an Andrew Luck, you're going to be fine. So you saw Andrew step up into the pocket, make a nice throw to T.Y. Hilton down the seam, 32 yards. I mean, that's that's how you get the big plays in the Frank Reich offense. So it, it's working as it's intended, man. And it, it really goes back, as I said earlier, to Quentin Nelson and the others on that offensive line. This is what we've been missing all this time. This is what they've been shooting for. Exactly. And then you look, like you said, kind of at the other guys there, and then you look at Ryan Kelly being named to NFL.com's midseason All-Pro team. That's not necessarily an award, but, I mean, it, it is it is notif- or notoriety in an otherwise very dull world for NFL centers. I mean, he has been fantastic this year, other than a couple of, you know, silly snaps, you know, that, that didn't turn out well for the Colts at all. But he's been great up front. You know, when Slauson was in, Slauson was really good up front. We've got, I mean, Mark Glowinski now is playing really well up there. This offensive line is so fun to watch right now because it's just like you're expecting, you're expecting Andrew Luck to get hit within the first, you know, two or three drives at least a couple times. And then you just continue to see, wow. He's he's taken a five step drop now. It seems like the the play calling has allowed Frank Reich to really kind of say, "All right, Andrew, we've got the protection now. We're going to open it up occasionally," and they're doing that. And that has really turned this offense into, in my opinion, I said this like uh, uh, either on last show or the show before that, that it could it's really turning this offense into a very borderline, very very good offense right now and I did use the word borderline elite I think on that but you know you you look at the 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 wide receiver group there's just not a lot there but you've got running backs now you've got an offensive line that's more than holding their own and you've got Andrew Luck that is feeding guys uh you know almost perfect passes and you're getting contributions from guys like Dontrell Inman and Mo Ali Cox I mean just anybody who's out there is going to be a, a contributor now because he's got time in the pocket and he has that accuracy when he's got the extra time it's really turning out to be a fun group to watch yeah and you mentioned something there with the, the wide receivers right I mean it's it's sort of a makeshift group right now mm-hmm. obviously with Dontrell Inman coming in and what I guess week six or something like yeah, that, yeah. and and that's that's not ideal. Obviously, never is. Ryan Clark's been down for a little bit, so you know he's a pretty sure-handed guy, if not a limited athlete. Obviously, but what I what I'd like to point out though is I I think they're really a couple skill players away from being exactly what you described. Mm-hmm. They're they're a couple skill guys away from being an elite offense, and there are times when they are elite. I mean they're. When you think about, listen, I realize they played a defense that is you know, among the dregs of the NFL on Sunday in Oakland, but but oftentimes you're going to have that. And and when you play a defense like that, you're supposed to look the way the Colts looked. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And and I think oftentimes we forget. I mean, the best the best players and the best offenses in the league, you know, they pile up their numbers against teams like that. <laughs> okay, right. so. I mean, at the end of the day, when Tom Brady, you know, goes and, and plays, you know, an elite defense, you know, he's not throwing for five touchdowns generally, and that's Tom Brady. And that's not a knock. That's just reality. I mean, you know, there's going to be more parity in a game like that. But I think you can see right now the Colts in a matchup like they had Sunday against Oakland. In years past, 
there would be a lot of speed bumps in a game like that. You never, you rarely would see a performance where they just kind of did whatever they wanted offensively. And that's the difference right now. All right, we've seen this offense play at an elite level, or we've seen Andrew Luck, I guess, play at an elite level. Maybe not the rest of the offense. Right. But in years past. But the difference was it wasn't this effortless. <laughs> this is effortless. Okay. What we saw against Buffalo, that was effortless. I mean, I'm just telling you, I mean, something's different. There's these are not just numbers that right. you know that are just sort of going into oblivion. No, th- this is something very, very different. This is a sustainable, uh, potentially, as you said, elite offense. And I don't think we're jumping the gun there. No, I don't either. And I mean, you look at the of what they scored, and it's not just last week against the Raiders. You know, they score. They've only scored one game, or they've only had one game where they've scored less than twenty points. They've got four games where they've scored thirty-four or more. I mean, that's something. You know, that that's not a that's not. I mean, that's not even you know the twenty twelve uh, just uh, craziness that happened when Andrew Luck came in. That's that is legit. Uh, you know, play calling, play design, Andrew Luck being able to execute uh, in the second part of this first half of the season. And it's just really fun to watch. So, I mean, uh, a lot of good things coming, I think, for this offense. And especially, you know, we'll get to this a little bit later. We wanted to talk about the draft picks a little bit as well. Um, but there, there's some exciting things, I think, in the future for this Colts. And, and I'm not saying that they've got necessarily all the pieces that just don't happen to be on the active roster right now. But I think you can see a lot of the talent building to where they don't have a ton of holes even going into next season as well. Um, one of the things that uh, also happened, uh, what was I think it was today, was uh, um, Darius, or, uh, yeah, Darius Leonard was also named uh, a Rookie of the Month as well. I mean, can you talk any more about a guy like this with like 88 combined tackles already? I don't know if he's still leading the league right now, being that they're on the bye. But, man, he is just churning it out. He's making plays. And you can see even that punch out that he had against the Raiders. That is his mindset every single time he's on the field. You see him do it two and three times. He just happens to hit a guy in the forearm or something like that or in the leg. you know. But he is definitely going for that ball every time. And he's a sure tackler. He's not just some guy that's just going to fly through and, and hope to knock people down like dominoes. This guy is the real deal. Yeah, and so you hit on something that's very important. Oh, a couple things. Number one, when you talk about him being a sure tackler, that's a point I want to double down on because there are a lot of guys who have come before Darius Leonard and guys who will come after him who will rack up a lot of tackles, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. that's it. I'm not saying it's easy, okay? Because <laughs> I certainly don't want to go in there and throw my body at a guy. But that being said, look, there are there have been a lot of average players to come along over the years who racked up a lot of tackles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they were on a bad defense, or maybe you know they were a safety who who didn't have a, a good front seven in front of them, right? And so you're making a lot of tackles. I, I noticed, for example, Antoine Bethay is one of the league's leading tacklers right now. Now, I like Antoine; he's a good player, and we are very familiar with him here in Indy. Mm-hmm. But but certainly. <laughs> That is more a product of the Cardinals' wretchedness, okay, right. than than you know Antoine just you know wanting to make every tackle, okay. That's not how it's supposed to work. So anyway, not to get sidetracked. So what what we see in Darius Leonard though is a guy who is a see ball get ball type of player. He's not jumping on the pile, okay. You can get a bunch of assists and still rack up tackle numbers because they're total tackles. They include assists. If you look at Darius' numbers. They are overwhelmingly solo tackles. Oh, yeah, 58 of them. Yeah, overwhelmingly. So that tells you something right there. This is not a guy who's just cleaning up the pile, which is fine, okay, and and it's good to have players like that, but he doesn't wait for somebody else to make the play. This guy initiates the contact, and he makes the play, and he's the one who's being helped along the way. So the assists are going to Darius Leonard, he's being assisted. He is not the one assisting on these tackles. Mm-hmm. So that I just think is such an important point to make. And then you talk about the punch out. It's one play over the course of thousands of plays they'll they'll you know put on film this year. But that that was such a huge huge indicator for me. Mm-hmm. It showed me a guy who has a mindset, uh, the right kind of mindset. It showed me a guy who says, you know what. We need, we need a play. It's time for somebody to make a play. And he's more than willing to be the guy to do it. 
And that just really bodes well for this defense because it, they still have a lot of work to do. That back end is not impressing me right now. That secondary is going to need some work. Right. And I know Ballard knows it, so that's not a secret. But, but that being said, they, they, what they have lacked for so many years on defense was a guy who knew how to just instinctively make a play when his team needed it. And the last guy who was able to do that, I feel like, was Robert Mathis in 2013 mm-hmm. when he had 19 sacks, right? I mean, it's been a long time. There have been some some sparks here and there. We've seen Clayton Gathers do it a little bit. I think Malik Hooker has that potential, but you know, it's been a little bit of a slow start for him, but that's fine. But I don't think we've seen it consistently. Even Fonte Davis, when he was at his best, mm-hmm. okay, at his pinnacle, he was not a playmaker. That was never his game. Okay, he was just a sort of a cover guy on an island. You left him alone and he did his thing. This is different. This is a guy, Darius Leonard, who forces the action and makes things happen. And <clears throat> excuse me, and that's a guy who can help you win games. Yeah, he is so much fun to watch. And um, I, I just think anybody who, who watches anything that he's done this year just thinks, man, you know, we talked about it, I think, at the beginning of the season. A lot of us were talking. He is a perfect fit for this for this scheme. Nobody, I don't think anybody thought he was going to be dominant. And he right now is borderline dominant. And, and, and people are having to game plan for this guy. He's not just a nice piece to this scheme. He's a guy who is really making plays and is, is turning games, honestly. You know, I mean, you think about that, especially in this just this week eight uh, against the Raiders. You know, he takes uh, he, he makes a play after the Colts finally force a punt after back to back, you know, back and forth touchdowns, I guess, uh, between them and the Raiders. They force a punt. The Colts go down and score on a touchdown, 10 uh, yard touchdown pass to Doyle. The next possession. He makes it play, and that's a 14 points a game right now. I mean, it's not even a one-score game. It's a two-score game right after that because the Colts go down and score again. That is an absolute game-changing moment, and he's had a few of them this year, and it's just really fun to watch. Uh, You have to kind of hit on this. It's just exciting, but let's talk about uh, the rest of these uh, draft picks real quick. Uh, We'll do that right after this. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Tick Pick, folks. If you guys haven't heard this before, you guys need to check it out. We've got a great deal for you, and let me tell you about it. This amazing app to buy tickets to any game, concert, or other event. Steven, I know you don't buy tickets for games, but you definitely go to concerts and a lot of other things around town, right? That's right. Man, if you guys are looking for tickets to this week's game, or next week's game, I guess, rather, uh, and want to know exactly what you're going to pay for those tickets, I do. And if you do too, then TickPick and their amazing and simple app is right up your alley. The TickPick app is extremely easy to use, and best of all, there are absolutely no surprises at checkout. None. Listen, you find the game, find the seat you want, and you're all set. Think StubHub without any fees. You get the same tickets, same seller, but absolutely zero fees. You save 10 to 15% on every ticket order. And get this, for our listeners, they're offering you guys an amazing offer of $15 off of any single order over $99 through November 30th. All you have to do is enter Stampede15 as your gift code at checkout. This isn't a sign-up offer or anything like that. So if you're already a member and you've already got the app, you can still get the offer. Not only do I use TickPick, but I approached them and wanted to make sure to get the word out about this company because it was so stinking easy and nobody likes to find the seats they want and get that smack in the face at checkout and find another $35 to $50 in fees being added. I'll never use another ticket app again. It's very user-friendly, and you get the same great tickets with lightning-quick ticket transfers. Remember, that's TickPick, and use the gift code STAMPEDE15 to save yourself $15 on any order over 99 Go to TickPick and take advantage of this crazy offer today. 100% verified Colts tickets without any fees. Thank you, TickPick, for the sponsor. And trust me, guys, that's not just an ad read. That is a fantastic app. You guys need to check it out. So uh, let's talk about these draft picks, Stephen. We talked about this a little bit uh, pre-show here. But, I mean, look, just go down the line. Quentin Nelson, uh, Darius Leonard, Braden Smith, all making impacts right now, especially Braden Smith coming in uh, for a guy who was not only suggested to be a guard but was almost said that he couldn't play tackle. And we saw this in training camp, and it was like, okay, enough of the experiment. Thank you guys. I'm glad you guys tried him out there at the tackle spot. It, it didn't work, but they kept at it, didn't they? They, I mean, they kept putting him in there and using him. And look at him now. I mean, he's been fantastic the past few games. And then you've got Kamoko Ture 
And we don't know much about Tyquan Lewis yet as far as on the field, but you've got Naheem Hines making a, an impact. Doris Fountain is on the practice squad, obviously. Jordan Wilkins is, is as much as Hines is right now. They've basically got mirrored numbers. Um, obviously, Matthew Adams now is playing a lot more after some moves with the linebacking core, and Zaire Franklin's playing a lot too. Literally, everybody on this on this everybody in this draft would have been playing substantial minutes, especially Deion Kane. I wouldn't say Doris Fountain, but Deion Kane would have been uh, one of the top two, three receivers on this team uh, had he stayed healthy. And this is a phenomenal draft class if you look at it top to bottom. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We always kind of use the 2012 draft as kind of a barometer for things, right? Right. And look, I mean, it's it's a fool's errand to try to judge the draft like you know six months out, right? Mm-hmm. So so we're not gonna we're not gonna go too overboard because it's too early. But the way it's shaping up, this will be a deeper. This could be a deeper haul than 2012 right okay like andrew luck is probably going to push every draft you compare against it over the top right um but it's not an apples to apples thing anyway because they didn't draft a quarterback so you can't have that kind of impact Mm -hmm. so i don't know if that's even a fair comparison but but even if you want to compare 2012 all right and that was a great draft i mean certainly anytime you get ty hilton and and andrew luck in the same draft you you did something right Right. but at the same time, they had the number one, number one overall pick. So, I, I mean, look, <laughs> I'm not going to crown anyone for drafting Andrew Luck when he's staring you in the face as the best quarterback prospect in a generation. So, exactly. I think that's a that's a pick they had to make, right? Uh, now, T.Y. Hilton was a find, and I give him a lot of credit for that. The tight ends, I really like those picks that year, and Fleener and Allen. Mm-hmm. But over the long term, you know, listen, that didn't really necessarily play out the way we thought it was going to right i mean right. I, I think by by year two or three you know Dwayne allen wasn't quite the same player you know he had been injured and had you know lots of subsequent injuries so anyway what i guess my point is the depth of this draft when it's all said and done it just might be better and we can't know that yet but but just with what we've seen it's deeper now and they still have a couple guys who they haven't tapped into yet because mm-hmm. of injuries and Deion Kane, as you said, in Taekwondo. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just really intrigued to think about what the future will look like. You know, if this is going to be the core of their team, if they did this right. And that's the key. This is what, listen, everything Chris Ballard has said has pretty much gone according to plan. Listen, I'm not saying that because I like Chris Ballard. I do like Chris Ballard. I do agree that he's onto something, mm-hmm. but if you if you can't look at what's happening, and and say you know what the guy's right, <laughs> then I don't know what you're looking at. I right. mean, he everything that he projected it has gone according to plan, exactly according to his plan. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you got to give this guy a chance to work and let him finish the job. But but as to your point on this draft class, I think it is going to be the core of this football team, perhaps for a long time to come. And that second round in particular is just, I mean, unbelievable, the yeah. hall right now in that second round. <laughs> it is. I mean, and, and like you kind of alluded to, if, if Tyquan Lewis does, I mean, I wouldn't even say much of anything, but I mean, if Tyquan Lewis comes in and even, even the pre-draft suggestion of him being kicked inside as a three-tech and, and plays well, then you've got a blowout number, you know, second round here. Uh, but if he, you know, they, they are really high on him too, and they love him. And if and if they and if he comes to you know comes around in the way that they think he's going to, I mean this this could really help this defensive line for the second half of the season. That could be a big big boost. And I think they need it too because Me too. I, I feel like the front seven's gotten a little stagnant. Uh, Ture, uh he he didn't really flash this past game, and in, you know certainly the Bills game he did. And and that was something to take heart in. But look, he's gonna he's not gonna be quite a consistent player yet. He's not there, so right. he's gonna have games like Sunday where you just don't see him. So they need as many con- contributors up front as they can get, and I think that's where Taekwon Lewis really you know potentially pays a dividend for them. And I'll, I'll tell you, I said this on my podcast last week, but I'll, I think it bears repeating. They are. You said they were high on Taekwon Lewis. I, I am telling you, they are so high on this guy. I don't even <laughs> think people realize it. 
look, I can't vouch for it because I haven't seen the guy. I'm telling you what they tell me. And I had someone who is, you know, a fairly high ranking person in the organization say to me, they think he can have a Quentin Nelson slash Darius Leonard type impact. Jeez. I mean, I was like, shut the hell up. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but they're serious. They, they think that's who he can be. And remember, this guy at Ohio State was a very productive player. Mm-hmm. Very productive. Uh, I still find it fascinating. I wrote this in my story about Taekwon a few weeks ago. <laughs> this guy ranks fifth in Ohio State history in sacks. Now, it's not all about numbers, but we're talking about Ohio State. Right. Okay. Mike Vrabel, Joey Bosa. I mean, the list goes on, right? I mean, right. some of the guys who have played there. This guy's fifth in school history. I mean, it's one of the top five programs probably in college football history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that's that tells me something about this guy. And they do really think that ultimately he'll settle in as a three-tech. I don't know if he can do that uh, for you know, 40, 50 plays a game. I'm not sure. At maybe 265 or whatever he is. We'll have to see. But they do like those smaller interior linemen in this scheme. So it's plausible. Uh, but he can play He can play outside. He can play inside. They'll have options. And I think they'll just let it go wherever it goes. And if he sells in a three-tech, so be it. Yeah, I, I think so. And it was one of the things that I noticed with him uh, pre-draft. And, and I was honestly just looking at him as an edge rusher because that's basically how he had been listed. But I did notice, and I made. I, I think I even on our YouTube page did a, a quick film breakdown of him during the pre-draft situations and was talking about, now watch what he does here. When he kicks inside, he is at another level, and it's absolutely true. He can come off the edge, and he's, he's a solid edge rusher. Not great, solid. Man, he kicks inside, and it's like somebody lit a fire under his ass because, I mean, he boosts out of that stance, and it's, it's fun to watch. That's where I get excited just thinking about that. He, he is quicker than everybody else from the inside uh, in every single snap that I saw of him at Ohio State. And that's what he could – I mean, he can offer a lot of that. The Colts need it, like you said. They're going to need that boost in the second half of the season. They're going to have to get some quarterbacks off their spot. It's a heavy AFC South uh, spot. The Colts are – they could be playing Osweiler for the Dolphins. You just don't really know. You know, the Giants are, uh, you know, a, a trash heap right now. And they play the Cowboys, who have been very, you know, inconsistent as well. So there is not a team in the second half of this season that anybody should probably say that is a guaranteed loss for the Colts. Now, how teams start playing over the next three or four weeks, you know, that might change. However, the Colts have a very legitimate shot here at making a nice run towards the second half of the season. Does that mean playoffs? I don't know. I don't know that I'd go there, but I wouldn't. I sure as hell wouldn't uh, rule it out. Yeah, I, I think there is something to be said for being hot mm-hmm. as a team. Absolutely, I think that's a real concept, and, and and especially with this team, okay? Because we've already talked about how you know how much rookies comprise this roster, or just young players generally. Well, what do we know about young players? They have to grow their confidence. And when you're losing, it's just really hard to do that. So now I think you're starting to see young guys step up and make some plays. And do you notice, for example, the receivers? Have you seen those drops lately? I haven't seen them, right? right, right. You don't see guys like Zach Pascal now you know, letting the team down. Some, some of those young players who hadn't played a lot of football, I think especially when, when you're losing, things get tense. And I'm not making excuses for them. I mean, they get a paycheck, and so there's – no one gets a pass, nor should they. But that being said, I, I see, I understand why that happens. Mm-hmm. It, it can happen, and it does happen. And I understand when it happens. So, But it can go the other way, too. And that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing guys getting into a groove, settling in, and getting more comfortable. And, and now production is coming with that and increased performance. And people are settling into roles. That's another thing. All right, look at, for example, the backup running backs, you just talked about them, the rookie running backs. Now that Marlon Mack is in his role and settled in two straight 100-yard games, do you notice that the efficiency with Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins has gone way up the last couple of weeks? Oh, it's exploded. Right? And I think there's something to be said for that. So all these young guys now, 
gaining confidence, settling into roles. And so that's where your team starts to become what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. The Colts are there right now. So as you talked about the stretch run, you're gonna, they're a different team. They're yeah. a very different team than they were just three or four weeks ago. doesn't mean they run the table or anything. Right. I'm just telling you, they're a different team, and they're going to be a tough out. Yeah, and I don't think they're a three and five record. I mean, I mean they they are, but I don't think they're a three and five team right now. Um, right, and, and and we'll get to that here in just a minute. But as you mentioned, you know their their production and their efficiency has exploded. Uh, was Heinz and Wilkins? I think they were both around three and a half yards a carry just a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. They're both up to four and a half, almost four point six, four point seven, somewhere around there uh, between the two of them. They've, I mean. You know, Hines' last couple games have been fantastic for him, and, and and Wilkins hasn't gotten the ball quite as much, but they are. I think both of them right now. Let me double check. I think both of them are at 52 carries, uh, 238 yards for Hines, 235 for Wilkins. Uh, but Hines, obviously, he has 24 more catches out of the backfield. So there's where you see his touches, you know, increase quite a bit. Hines, Wilkins hasn't really shown to be a uh, a great guy out of the backfield for uh, in the passing game, but man, I mean, on the ground these guys have really improved, and that's been a lot of fun. I mean, Hines already has three touchdowns this year, so that's you know that's definitely a positive. But um, and like I said, let's get to this now, just because I can't. I mean, I want to talk about this because it's just been you know I think we we get to this point in the season and we think yeah, okay they're three and five. And then you remember a couple moments in, in the the previous you know several games, and you think, man, are they really a three and five team? I don't think they are. Let's talk about this. Let's go back and let's review uh, pretty briefly uh, the Colts' first eight weeks of the season. Here they are three and five technically, but let's go back week one versus the Bengals. The Colts are down four in the midst of a long drive. It's a thirteen play drive. Doyle makes a catch, fumbles, ball gets returned for a touchdown. Colts lose 34-23. That reminded me so much of, was it last year or two years ago? Maybe it was 2016 when the Colts lost to the Broncos. They were getting ready to drive down. They were down a score. Uh, I think it was like the first play of that drive. And I think luckier threw a pick six or it was a, it was a fumble recovery for that too. And that was a two, you know, that's, that's a one there where it's either a tie game, the Colts take the lead or, you know, they get beat by two scores. I mean, it's literally that much of a, of a difference there with one play. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I thought there were, I believe in their first three losses, (laughs) the Colts were driving in their final possession with a chance to win. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what we're talking about here. I, and I think, and, and the other thing we talked about, you know, when I said, you know, we don't know what teams are going to be until about now. Well, as it turns out, you know, the Bengals are, you know, a team to sort of be reckoned with this year. They've kind of perhaps uh, evened out a little bit, um, maybe mellowed a little bit. But the Bengals, it turns out, they got off to a really hot start mm-hmm. and, and were really – uh, a team, uh, offensively at least, that uh, that had to be reckoned with. So, you don't really. I think you look back at, at that Bengals game in particular, and you got to feel okay about it. And and no, it's not okay that it ended the way it did. But but were it not for that, they probably go down and win that game. They were rolling, as you said. Oh, and yeah. I, I think for where the Colts are, to 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 take the the context, and when you look at it in context. There's no way you don't feel good about where they are right now. I, I think that the losses, they're not okay. They're never okay, but they're understandable. And, and when you look deeper at the losses, you understand what this team really is. Mm-hmm. That, Bengals, that Bengals game is a great example. Yeah, I mean, it's 30, I mean, it should have been a 30-27 game at the end of that drive. At least, I mean, you can't ever say, like you said, that they're going to get into the end zone. But they were rolling, man. I mean, they, they were looking solid. And you get that catch from Doyle, he turns it, and, and it's just like, oh, you go from thinking there's no way the Colts don't score on this drive to there's no chance in hell they can pull this out now. And that sucked because it was so late in the game and everything else. Sure. You go to week two, and then you see the Colts basically dominate the Redskins for the most part in their own house, win 21-9. And then you think more about that week one loss, and you're like, Colts should be 2-0. and you know what I'm saying? This this is where we go with this now, and then all of a sudden the Colts are one and one, one and zero on the road, and you think that they should be two and zero. Week three, Eagles nip and tuck game most of the time, most uh, most of the way throughout the game. 
Uh, the Colts only the, the biggest issue with the Colts that game is they only put the end, uh, ball in the end zone once, had to settle for three field goals. Luck only averaged 4.1 yards per attempt on 40 attempts, and they end up losing 20 to 16. Still should have won that game though, and that yeah. is you another know, example. You have two games just like that in your first three, and you you go on the road and dominate the Redskins. You know the fan base at that time was kind of I mean some there was back and forth. But myself, I just thought that they should have been three and zero, and I didn't think the Eagles were as good as anybody, everybody was saying, because they were continually calling them, you know, the uh, defending champions, which they technically are. But that still, that that team in Week Three was not the defending champion Eagles. Right, and and the other thing that my big takeaway, and you kind of alluded to this from that Eagles game was, the Colts threw the ball into the end zone three times and came up with nothing. Okay. They had three opportunities, three separate drives where they were throwing the ball into the end zone and settle for field goals on each of those. So they really deserve to lose the game, right? There's right. no question. But, but I think it also showed uh, that number one, they can move the ball. They, they were moving the ball. They didn't have a, a huge statistical day, but they moved the ball enough to get it done. And, and that was also, you know, still early in, in Frank Reich's, uh, acclimation period uh they were missing some players they still had the tackles the offensive tackle issues and it was certainly uh the raven clark's uh you know gaffe at the end of that game that that led to the fourth down stop okay where they had a first and goal on the four and couldn't get it in so that's you know very very similar to the to the bengals game where you talked about them having a chance to be three you know they really were a couple plays away from being three you know this is not you know, sort of a, I don't think that's a loser's mentality to acknowledge that. I think to, to say that, you know, there's a moral victory, that's a loser mentality. But I think to to recognize the fact that, that they had opportunities that they didn't take advantage of and were very close to being a 3-0 football team, that's fine. And that's absolutely factual. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then you go into week four against the Texans. The Colts ultimately give them 14 points, uh, one on a fumbled snap, uh, from Ryan Kelly that ends up in the end zone and a fumble inside the 15-yard line uh, first half after putting a touchdown on the board on their very first drive of the game. So they look hot. Kelly snaps that ball crazy, and then it's tied. Next thing that you know at the end of the first half, the, or towards the end of the first half, Colts give up another free you know touchdown. Then you get the valiant comeback, end up losing an OT. And, I mean, that, that in itself was an, another – situation where you just think the Colts should not even have anything in the loss column this year. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they, they had opportunities to win all of these games. You know what, what I think the takeaway is too, is they, they aren't a team, or at least they weren't a team that knew how to close these games out. Right. And, and that is a byproduct of being a young team. And then it's also exacerbated when you have, you know, just a litany of injuries as they did. That's true. You know, that really just kind of reinforces or, or kind of exacerbates your existing issues, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think they're learning now. They're learning. Uh, they, have, they have had opportunities to take the, these last couple games by the horns, and they did that. And maybe you could say, well, the opponents were inferior. Okay, they were, but uh, you can only play who's on the schedule. I mean, we have <laughs> – listen – we of all people should know the Colts are very capable of losing to inferior opponents. For okay. Sure. So, so let's not pretend like we, like that's never happened. Right. So I, I, I always laugh at that mentality that, well, you know, they, they played the, the Raiders. Oh, yeah, I get it. But like that they, they've shown an ability to, to screw up opportunities like that. Exactly. And, right. You know, and the Buffalo bills, okay. A team that was a top five defense, they put 37 on the board. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, listen, I, I think those are things that we have to acknowledge. Right. You look at week five. Week five was kind of their, you know, legitimate. They, they were outmatched in that game. They they did come back. They got within one score. Um, you know, the Pats kind of put it on ice after a luck interception. Sony Michelle hits a 34-yard touchdown run 
midway through the fourth. It's 38-17. The Colts do get another score towards uh, their fi- on one of their final drives, and it ends up being 38-24. But that game, you know, it had an opportunity to get closer, but you know, the 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 Patriots kind of went into autopilot. The Colts didn't, you know, make the um, the complete comeback, and and they lost that game. I don't think that anybody's sitting there going, "Man, they could have beat the Patriots." They had an opportunity to get close and maybe pull one out but you know the Patriots were just the better team that day plain and simple and you know like you've said even on last uh towards week four the Colts were dealing with a ton of injuries week six and week seven week eight those are different games I mean week six it may be you know week six might even be the second game that I would legitimately say now the Colts did have an opportunity to win this game and probably should have but week five and week six were probably the two games where we saw uh, probably the most legitimate, uh, I would say, mistakes from Andrew Luck. Everywhere else, and you look at the Bills, the, like you said, the domination from start to finish, the the back and forth, and then the the finishing that game, and kind of what you know Frank Reich has, has pushed with these guys, and he said since the first day he got here, finding an obsession to finish, that was the first time I think that we really saw – them do that as a team in several different units you the defense makes them punt the offense makes them pay the defense does it again and the Colts end up sealing that game and that is exactly what happens to the Colts so often on the other side they are on the other side of that that uh, situation where they are keeping it close they have to punt late and then the other team just puts up a score or two and it's out of it's out of reach this is kind of what we've seen from this Colts you have several games where you would say the Colts should have won that game. They were the better team. They didn't, not all of them anyways. But they were probably, I wouldn't say outmatched against the Jets, but they definitely did not deserve to win that game, I don't think. Uh, but the Bills and Raiders, you know, two games they, they, they did win that they should have won. And, you know, you're going into the second half of the season after the bye, and you just have to feel good about it. And that 3-5 and five record just seems so blah it just seems ugly right now looking at it because you just don't feel like the Colts should be there at minimum I think they should be the opposite mirror that with five and three they really could and you know one thing that I think bodes well for them down the stretch is you know I mentioned earlier that Frank Reich you know talk about that Eagles game for example you know he was still in an acclimation period well I'll tell you what I have seen I talked about the players settling in mm-hmm. and sort of figuring out their roles. You know who else I think is figuring it out is Frank Reich. Yeah. And if you watch on Sunday, there was a takeaway there. And I asked Frank about this, you know, I think it was in the, I can't remember which touchdown it was. They scored so many, but uh, yeah. <laughs> there, there was a play. They had third and goal from the four. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there in the press box in Oakland. I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be a pass. Is it going to be T.Y. on, you know, sort of a, a little a little out route? Or is it going to be, you know, a tight end? Or where are they going here? And they hand the ball off, okay, third and four from the four. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, okay, four yards. But, it, but in the NFL, you know this, Matt, mm-hmm. okay, in the NFL, that is a pass probably 90% of the time. In that situation, you drop back and you throw the ball. Right. But Frank Reich had those guys in such a groove at that point. They had been mauling those guys up front, and they knew that they had the upper hand. So he put it on their shoulders, and he said, go block somebody and put the ball in the end zone. And they did it with ease. And and that is the kind of confident play calling you get where a couple things are happening. Your team is kind of getting into a groove, as I said, and – and you, as as the play caller, you're starting to learn which buttons to press and when, right. because that takes time. That, that that really takes time. Okay, you know, you look around the league at, at who the elite teams are, and oftentimes you have a quarterback and a play caller who have been together for a long time. You know, that's not the case here. So they're still so early in the process of of learning, uh, coach players, coach quarterback, all these. All these relationships, they're still very, very early in the process. So that, I think, though, was was one very, very, very small indication of how it's starting to come together. And I think you're going to see more instances like that because I, I really believe that Frank Reich has a chance to be an elite play caller. I, I think there's something about this guy. He, he's just too smart. I think he's really going to figure this out and really be 
a, a top-notch play caller before it's over with. I do too. And and you look, and he's you know what he's going to kind of have to be. And we're not talking about you know elite level AFC opponents here in the second half of the season. But I mean, you've got you've got the Jaguars and the Titans twice in in the next eight games. This is going to be where he makes you know kind of his. I I, I wouldn't say his push for you know maybe a possible coach of the year push or anything like that but I definitely think that when you go up against a defense like the Jaguars and for the most part the Titans have a pretty solid defense a pretty stout group too this is really going to test not only what you said about uh him and and in this group offensively or or even defensively forever or for whoever they do or whatever they do and however they want to put it together but it's going to be how he calls these plays and how he can kind of try to pick apart these defenses that is really going to give this team that extra momentum. You can go into the bye with momentum, but how many times have we seen the Colts come out of the bye looking like crap? You have to go come out in your first week out of the bye, and you've got to be sharp. This is where he's going to make his money. I agree, and I, I really think that there's – I've seen too many indications from this coaching staff that that they get it, right, to think that, that they're going to you know, lose their momentum. I, I really think they're going to find a way to keep this momentum going. These guys are, I think, sort of you know elite level when it comes to preparation. You know, I I remember uh, just a couple weeks ago I wrote a story about you know how they go about putting together their pass protection plan, for example. And it didn't, it doesn't sound like a story that would be very interesting. Okay, <laughs> it, it sounds like that would bore you to tears. Well, as it turned out. I stumbled into this. It, it was really interesting, and it all it goes back to you know they start breaking down the the opponents uh, ten days out and putting together the the pass protection plan. They start looking at all the fronts that defense has played uh, for the last year. They look at that coordinator and his matchups with this similar offenses to the Colts. Mm-hmm. So when Frank was in San Diego. They look at those matchups. They look at the matchups with Philadelphia. Very similar offense there. They're, they don't. They leave no stone unturned. And they, you know, whereas other teams will sort of, you know, break this down with the, the coach, quarterback, and center. These guys, almost the entire offense gets brought into this process, and they all have to understand it. It's and and the big thing that I've learned about this staff, and this is on offense and defense. One thing that is a very big principle for Frank Reich is he doesn't just want guys to just learn the plays. Okay, because at the NFL level, anybody can figure it out. Anybody can learn the play. Okay, what's my job? Where do I go? What do I do? Guys can pretty much do that. If you make it to the NFL, you're capable of that. Okay, otherwise you wouldn't get there in the first place. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But the difference here in Indianapolis right now, what Frank Reich is requiring of his guys is that they understand the bigger picture. So he wants the he wants his his tight end to understand conceptually what are we trying to accomplish here and why do I have to do what I have to do here? Mm-hmm. Not just what do I have to do, but why and what's the point and what are we trying to accomplish? What's the vulnerability of the defense? Those kinds of things. So I think he's making these guys smarter football players in the process. And I've heard that from guys. I mean, guys have told me that. You know, they say, Chester Rogers told me this. He said, you know, I've learned more football this year than ever. And that's a guy who's <laughs> been in the NFL three years. Yeah, that doesn't surprise anybody, though, either. <laughs> right. You know, but it's, it's not just because there's been an upgrade, I think, in the, the level of coaching, but also in the approach. Right. That's, so it's, it's a double whammy. It's not just well they're better they're a better coaching staff they are a better coaching staff but they also I think have a totally different approach that d- is more demanding of their players and therefore the players are are going they're going to execute better if they understand better mm-hmm. so I, I just think they're really onto something there and I, I think it's going to pay dividends me too and it seems very smooth and very easy um, and almost natural that all of these guys are buying in you don't hear of any dissent you don't see any. Um, you don't see any real stress, I guess, uh, on either side of the ball of these guys trying to get it. You know what I mean? It seems like they're very all in. And that, man, if there's anything better than you could do with such a quality, I think, I, I, I think is a quality draft class and a pretty good one last year. 
and then you bring in this kind of staff. I mean, that literally is your culture that you're trying to build. Right. And, and I think you're seeing it. Uh, you're, you're seeing a couple things happen. You're seeing guys, you know, buy in right from day one, they bought in to what Frank Reich was selling. And that's, mm-hmm. that's hard. That's, Oh, yeah. Let's not underestimate how difficult that is as right. a new coach. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, you're also seeing guys, uh, they, stuck, they stuck with the process when, when things weren't going well. They had a three-game losing streak there where, I mean, it was, gonna, it was about to get dicey. Mm-hmm. And what you saw is this team didn't waver. And I'm not suggesting that, that most teams do that, but listen – you know, for a team that's never won anything, most of these guys on this team, they've never accomplished anything. They're young guys. They haven't won anything. They haven't been anywhere. And when you go through a stretch like that, you can kind of check out sometimes. I think a lot of players can do that, whether intentionally or not. It's probably not intentional. But, you know, mentally it and emotionally, you can kind of check out and say, well, they said we were going to suck. I guess we suck. <laughs> right <laughs> and that didn't happen I, I think frank reich has a lot of, to do with that he should get some credit for that mm. uh, to, to basically keep those guys focused and never waver and he he says it all the time he's like you know you guys know me i'm the same guy every day and he says it and you're like okay yeah 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 but no there's there's a demonstration of that as well it's yeah. not just talk right. and i think that is so important for a young team that's going to go through some things and I think it really is paying off now. I do too. I, I, I'm very. I mean, I'm not only hopeful, but I think that there's. I think there's a, a quiet uh, confidence among the fan base with the way that we've seen this team not only be built, but you see that the defense is not. You know, they're not a. Uh, a team that's going to always hold the team to low rushing totals. They're not the team that's always going to you know be stingy against the pass or or often at all for that matter but you've got the offense in line the defense makes enough plays to get the ball back into the hands of the offense or whatever one way or another this roster does a lot of what it needs to do to get it done each week and that's something that builds I think when you get the momentum there you get some of the confidence and you have that between play callers between teammates and you get some of that chemistry building I mean I I think and I think one of the most important uh, lines of chemistry defensively is uh, Anthony Walker and, and Darius Leonard I think those two working in tandem have been fantastic together and I think that they really are going to be able to build something special for the second half of this season but then you look at the front four and you think they've got the potential they're not great right now and even on the back end, you see the potential. So there's a lot working there, but it's not a team that is going to stop teams solely defensively. However, you can see all the potential coming in for the second half of the season. And I think that, I mean, it's really hard to pick, you know, wins and losses with this team because of where they're at in, in within the build. But I think that you have to at least presume that the Colts win four to five of these next eight games. Well, I think it's possible. And the one thing I'd say is, you know, you have to be ready for anything with a young team. Okay, Mm -hmm. so it could it could go it could be tremendous (laughs) or it could be really disappointing. Right. I mean, it could go either way. And and I just want to prepare people for for those possibilities, because there's still a team that's going to have highs and lows. Because they're not there yet, right? Mm-hmm. We just outlined why they're not there yet. But but they are a team that it appears right now is always going to give themselves a chance. Whether they can finish it, that's up to them, right? Uh, you know, and, and is Darius Leonard going to make the kind of play he made Sunday, right? For example, uh, those don't come every week, so they're going to have to put themselves in position, and then they're going to have to finish. But they've shown that they can do that, and that's that's a huge huge step. But I, even if they have some setbacks, and, and there probably will be some, even if they have some setbacks, I want people to remember this now you know, that we're halfway through and looking at the latter half of the season. One thing I want people to remember is that, okay, from the beginning, if you were doing this season the right way, <laughs> you understood it was about the totality of the situation. 
where is the team going? How do you feel about this team's future, right? Those are the metrics right. that you wanted to judge this team by. It was not, well, what's the record going to be in 2018? Well, I mean, we'd all love to be able to predict that, but that was, I, I don't want to say less important, but it's it's not necessarily the most important thing. Right. You know, because it wasn't about 2018. But I think if they continue to play the way they're playing, regardless of what their record is, when this year is over, you're going to look back and say, I feel great about this team going forward. And that is not something you could have said about last year. They could wind up with just a marginally better record than last year, and you still would feel like, okay, I feel so much better about this team. Now, they're going to it looks like they're going to blow last year's record out of the water potentially. But even if they don't, I still feel like the arrow is pointing up at such a trajectory that it's not even close. You can't even compare the situations. Absolutely. And hopefully uh, a lot of what Boward is able to do over the next, over the course of the next off season is not only get, you know, some of the pieces that they've got some holes in potentially, but find some more depth that is able to step in similar to how Braden Smith did, you know, and maybe the Colts are a little more active in free agency with all the money that they've got and, and kind of the guys that are going to be hitting the line this year. So it'll be interesting to see all that. And one of the things after the buy that, you know, could potentially be, you know, a stroke of good luck for the Colts going forward is their first three games uh, after the buy here are at home. And that's important to get, you know, use as much of that as possible for momentum going into the next games because two of their next three uh, are on the road. And that's, you know, that in, in it within itself is not good for the Colts when they go on the road. They typically, you know, they, they do play solid certain games. It would, it's more of an up and down and a surprise uh, half the time. But the Colts have to hold uh, court in their own house, and they've got to win there. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I think that I still would probably guess the Colts go 8-8 eight and eight this year. And like you said, 8-8 eight and eight this year is not probably going to get them into the playoffs, but it is going to fire up this fan base, and it is going to bring a ton of hope to Indianapolis for next year. And I also think, to piggyback on something you just said, I think it changes the approach uh, in the coming offseason. Mm-hmm. If they if they are able to to finish like that, then I think Chris Ballard has to take a look at his team and say, you know what, we're closer than than we thought. Mm-hmm. And and I think at that point you do see him get a little more aggressive. I've had some conversations with with Chris Ballard even after the New England game, and you know he was actually pretty heartened after that game. I, and I mean immediately after the game, which you know is usually the hardest time. You just lost, right? right. And and that's that's the toughest time to have perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, he looked at me and he said, "You know, we're not that bad, man." And I said, "I said I agree." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I actually felt like that was. I mean, it was interesting. It was like a it was a l- little bit of a window into his into his psyche right there. You yeah. know, that he could step back from that game and say, "We're all right." Yeah, you can and, see him and men- think, mentally yeah. nodding towards what he's got in front of him. Yeah, and I think that is the kind of thing that tells me that if they handle their business down the stretch, I think they're going to be willing to try to to take that next step and to do what it takes to do it, to do what it takes to take that step, you know, whether it be free agency or whatever the case. But I think they, I think that's going to be a conversation here pretty soon, depending on what happens going forward. I absolutely agree. Uh, so... Thank you guys for uh, for stopping in, Stephen. Appreciate you jumping on the on the show tonight. I had a great time with you, man. Make sure you guys are following Stephen on on Twitter. Make sure you guys are following his work at the Athletic. It's absolutely uh, insane and excellent. Also, make sure you guys are listening to his show here on the Stampede Blue Podcast channel, Horseshoes with Holder or Horseshoes with Stephen Holder. Stephen, great time as always, my man. Same here. Loved it. Guys, make sure that you guys are getting to the podcast and make sure you guys are giving us a rating and review. Those are huge and helpful. Continue to share the show. Our numbers continue to rise. Thank you guys all for everything that you're doing. Uh, Other than that, we've got a kind of a slow week this week, of course. Next week, we get right back into it with some film review and everything else. And Steven will have a show up next week as well. Hopefully, we'll have a a little bit of everything going for you guys next week. So make sure you guys come back for all of that. Uh, Other than that, Thank you guys for coming again. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Colts cast.
Stampede Blue. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.